Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweller since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, a podcast that blends comedy and politics together, creating the sort of smoothie that would likely be called an apathise or an unequal distribution of power shake or simply an oh, what's the point? This is episode 102. I'm Tiernan Duyeb and this week as Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport and Politics's version of Tim Lovejoy, Matt Hancock, tells tech giants reform or be fined billions, I feel like he'd have had more luck and public support aiming that comment at You know, instead of a bunch of CEOs who really aren't scared of an overgrown GCSE student who's only just seen the 1995 Sandra Bullock film, The Net. Yes, while the rest of the world spent their weekend ogling the royal wedding, the first time the royal family have seen that many people of colour and not tried to colonise them, the DCMS attempted to discuss a clampdown on online bullying and harassment on social media with some of the heads of various sites. However, as Matt Hancock sheepishly admitted on The Mar Show, only four of the invited 14 social media firms showed up, which, to be fair, sounds about right for a Facebook event. If he'd done his research, he'd have known that if anyone clicks interested, then they clearly aren't coming, as they aren't, and they think you're awful. Hancock was unable to specify how the government would roll out age checks for under 13-year-olds for various internet sites, because despite technology, computers can't quite register how many fingers a child is holding up just yet. The DCMS secretary said he couldn't answer how it will happen as there hadn't been a consultation on it yet, though when he was just a government minister, he insisted that under-25s didn't work hard enough to get the minimum wage, but I don't remember him asking anyone of that age group at the time. Maybe all various internet sites need is for children to show them just how hard they've worked, and it'll no doubt allow tons of 15-year-olds into loads of hugely unsuitable porn sites because Hancock doesn't have a clue about anything. Matt Hancock says he wants to tackle the wild west of the internet, but with Facebook CEO and man made entirely of panna cotta, Mark Zuckerberg, still refusing to meet the UK government, it seems more likely that Hancock is nowhere near being a Butch Cassidy, especially as he has no idea how to verify the age of the Sundance kid, who's apparently not working hard enough to help in the first place. Transport Secretary and low-budget Voldemort Chris Grayling announced that the East Coast Rail Line is to be renationalised in a move that many are calling one of Labour's policies. Though rather than this being a possible first step before the Conservatives decide to go the whole hog and announce free tuition fees, save the NHS, start singing Theresa May's name to the tune of Seven Nation Army and swap their Brexit plan for an equally confusing one, it seems this decision was largely due to Virgin Rail breaching a financial agreement and Grayling either renationalising or allowing Virgin to continue running it while the government pay the fees. A lose-lose situation for the transport department, but on the plus side, now it's a nationalised service run by the government, at least customers won't expect the Wi-Fi on board to work, won't be in the least bit surprised that seats are still unaffordable apart from a tiny percentage of equally pricey, affordable seats, or that the gap has increased and that any expected arrival times will be months off on account of a total lack of preparation in place of self-confident bluster. Home Secretary and direct inspiration for Thomas the Tank Engine's round, round face, Sajid Javid, revealed that 63 
three people from the Windrush generation could have been wrongly removed or deported from the UK. But as pointed out, that's not the final number. That's quite a big difference compared to the government previously saying that they couldn't find anyone wrongfully deported. And it still amazes me that we're meant to trust the Conservatives on the economy when they can confuse a number greater than 60 with zero. This reveal also doesn't include people currently detained, those refused re-entry or any voluntary emigrations from people who are threatened with deportation. So saying so far at 63 is as helpful as me telling you I only had one plate of food at the all-you-can-eat buffet, but that doesn't include the starters, the fact that I've now piled up the same plate three times, or all the bread that I've managed to hide in my pockets. Shadow Home Secretary and person who would insist on telling you her life story if you just asked how she was, Diane Abbott, has said that Labour would dismantle the hostile environment policy and close down two detention centres. But only two, because hey, when it comes to racist deportations and Brexit policies, you have to keep some bigots on board for electability. Am I right? Don't worry everyone, some people will still be detained indefinitely for no good reason and have their human rights violated, because how else will we get Big Dave from Rotherham's vote when he believes in both lowering tuition fees, but also that blackface is funny. There are increasing calls for a public inquiry into the Windrush scandal because there's nothing that would help victims of unfair deportation like a verdict of its lawfulness in about six years' time that everyone will ignore. Environment Secretary and the only person whose image remains unchanged in a funfair hall of mirrors, Michael Gove, has warned of a rise in identity politics in Britain, but has insisted that Brexit didn't help cause them. A bit like calling up someone to warn them that their house is susceptible to burning down, but you spraying petrol all over their roof, sticking fire lighters in all the pipes, and advertising for Game of Thrones to film their dragon sequences in your garden, all has absolutely nothing to do with it. Meanwhile, Scottish Parliament have voted against the EU withdrawal bill, while the Welsh Assembly have voted for it, because traditionally, because traditionally, familiars are looked after quite well by their owners. Just days after the vote, disgraced politician and lobotomised chameleon Neil Hamilton was ousted from his position as Welsh UKIP Assembly leader. Apparently he received the message he'd lost his job by text, which must have been hard for him as he usually only takes things seriously if handed to him in a brown envelope. And lastly, reports suggest Conservative ministers are preparing themselves for a snap election in October, though judging by Brexit negotiations, that means they'll still be unprepared for it by late September, falling back into an extended transition period with nothing actually happening until 2020. I can't imagine the UK public would want yet another election so soon after the last one, but arguably at the same time, judging by previous elections, the public opinion probably shouldn't be trusted, weirdly meaning that there should be another election and then maybe no one should be allowed to vote in it. Ugh, sometimes democracy is hard. And just in as I'm recording this, former Mayor of London and the only politician who'd have done better if he was less honest, Ken Livingston, has quit the Labour Party after he said issues surrounding his anti-Semitism had become a distraction. It seems the Labour Party is so into pacifism that rather than fight anti-Semitism, they just let it deal with itself until it gets fed up and leaves. Hello, Parpol Brods. How are you? What's what's happening in your neck of the woods? Do you, do you get any other areas of the woods? No one ever seems to mention the mouth of the woods or the stomach of the woods or indeed the butt of the woods, which makes me feel a bit like the neck must sort of feel a bit out of sorts most of the time. Is there even a scarf large enough for most wood necks? Oh, so many questions. So little want for answers. Um, thank you again for listening to yet another podcast that today I am churning out while trying to help my wife deal with our tiny daughter having her vaccination jabs, uh, which she had this this morning so that means juggling dealing with her crying endlessly and then being overly happy at getting to eat tasty tasty cowpole oh it's so tasty and then throwing cowpole up all over herself and then crying as she becomes a weird purple tinged sticky mess with a slight fever it's sort of like trying to soothe an angry ribena berry so what that means is every now and then during the show i have no idea what i'm talking about because baby screams have rotted my brain <laughs> yes this episode is really no different to any other that i've done over the past two months um how was the intro today was it all right i tried to do it super super fast because um thanks to an email from john he suggested that maybe what i should do is artificially speed up the intros so it kind of slams past um but while john sent a very nice email and i very much appreciate his comments um john's email follows an email i had about a month ago that told me i speak too fast uh for it to be sped up and previously in the past i've had people telling me i speak too fast or too slow or basically things just get better ears that's what i'm saying to you get better ears um alternatively today's 
intro hopefully was super fast and has gone straight into your brain at a really kick speed uh, kick speed that's what happens when I speak fast ah oh, Jesus Christ podcasts are hard um, huge thank you as well to Sparrow7 uh, this week for the stupidly lovely review on iTunes but cancelling out that is that there is a minus review on the iTunes what what yes somebody has willingly removed the nice review that they did um you're probably thinking, what the hell, Tin, and how do you know exactly how many reviews are on your iTunes page? Uh, are you that needy? Yes, I am. I absolutely am that needy, and I know somebody has removed their review. Or more likely, maybe they've just removed their iTunes profile and deleted their Apple account, which is possible. Or maybe they've been erased from existence by some sort of time-travelling antics and mishaps. Um, it's probably the profile one, isn't it? I doubt it was personal. Still, as petty as it is, um, it breaks my pathetic, ever-needy heart that the iTunes reviews have gone from 115 reviews to 114. And if any of you wish to aid the most shallow grieving that you've ever heard, please, please, please do put a five-star review and some lovely words on the iTunes page or on the Stitcher page or maybe just on a tiny scroll that your carrier pigeon can deliver uh, to someone in the Outer Hebrides who hasn't yet got electricity. Um, If you can donate to the show as well, please do spare even one dollar on the Patreon page, which I think currently equates to about 75p, which is the same price, uh, according to Amazon.co.uk, as a three-quarter ounce Flexit spoon. Um, and you clearly don't need one of those, so you may as well donate that money to this show. I, d- I don't even know what a Flexit spoon is. I didn't even look at the picture, really. I'm guessing it's for really muscular people to use because, you know, all those extra biceps, triceps and um, forceps mean that you can't reach your mouth without bendy aids. I've got no idea. Who knows? All I know is that if you donate to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash parpolbro or a one-off buy-me-a-coffee donation at ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro, then you won't need any sort of spoon as your mouth will be too busy saying, oh, I wasted money on this shit over and over again as you listen to every new episode. Um, all of those links are, of course, at the still very fancy and still very new website at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or parpolbro.co.uk if you have lazy, lazy fingers. And I have started to add transcripts uh, to the website with my super incredible other half, starting to type up all the interviews uh, in between sort of unsticking herself from our cowboy sad baby. Um, so this week's show transcription and the interview will be up ASAP. Um, then episode one is fully there at the mo. Uh, episodes two to ten have all my bits without the interviews, and slowly, slowly, all of it shall be completed until there is an online resource of lots of things you do not need. Hooray! Taking up more space on the internet. Basically, uh, what I didn't realise, though, is that it takes fucking ages. So if any of you out there um, are handy with your typings and you fancy transcribing an interview or two, um, I will be hugely grateful and I will happily uh, sort you out, I don't know, some freebie gig tickets at some point or if you really want it, I don't know, a Flexit spoon that I can send your way. I'll happily order you some Flexit spoons um, as a thank you. Uh, do let me know via partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com or the contact page on the website because there is one of those there. Ooh, fancy times. Um, The only other admin this week is that I attended the very fun British Podcast Awards on Saturday, um, just as an attendee, because this show didn't get nominated for anything, but that means, obviously, uh, that it's super cool and cult and underground. It's definitely definitely what it means however um many brilliant podcasts did win things so do check out the results on britishpodcastawards.com and a very special shout out to the ace stop and search podcast team who not only deservedly won two silver awards for their excellent very must listen to show do listen to it. it's brilliant recent one uh, with laurie penny is well well worth a listen um but also they very kindly let me be a hanger on and an honorary member of their podcast uh, throughout the evening uh, because this idiot does a show all i'm a lonesome uh, which isn't really good for social events uh, you can't just sort of turn up with your team if there isn't really there isn't an eye there is not an eye in team uh not not one try it it's not there so um i mean just because it was a podcast awards that doesn't mean it was okay for me to turn up and talk to myself in a corner with my headphones on all night so thank you very much to jason uh, and that lot for not making me a billy no mates on this week's show, I have the incredible Tara Flynn. And I, I don't use the word incredible lightly, but she is incredible. Um, and she is talking to me about Ireland's upcoming referendum on legalising abortion. Um, and this is one of those interviews I just want everyone to hear. The referendum is this Friday. And I feel like an absolute idiot that I haven't covered it beforehand and given this interview more time to kind of get to people. Um, but listen to it, share it if you can, and please spread the word encouraging Ireland to vote to repeal the 8th where possible so that they can move into, into the future 
future that we're all in. Um, not all of it, obviously, not all the future that we're in is good, but you know, like the good bits of it, they should just progress. Um, also, I'm going to attempt to give you some reasonably balanced thoughts on Israel. Yeah, that is right, people. Basically, uh, it is all the easy subjects this week abortion and Israel. Classic comedy territory, both of those. Um, this podcast has gained a lot of new listeners lately, and I'm very grateful that you're here. Uh, it does seem to feel like I'm trying to drive you all away again. Um, what is wrong with me? Why couldn't I just do a podcast about baking or something? Or Flexit Spoons? I could totally release half an hour each week about what I've eaten with a Flexit Spoon, and I could call it, I don't know, The Flexilent Show, or something something shit like that. Now, that would win awards. People would be like, oh, The, the Flexilent Show's fucking Flexilent. That's what they'd say. Ah, oh, my fucking life. On the plus side, there is no Brexit fallout this week because uh, I think with Israel and abortion, you've probably it's probably enough, isn't it? Who wants who wants more misery? Anyway, first up though, here's this misery. Things like the Royal Wedding are always good events during which you can bury bad news. Uh, and that's why I spent Saturday digging a ditch to put 4,000 copies of the Daily Mail into. But also, you may have missed a politics thing or two that was snuck out uh, while people were ogling the Royal Wedding. And I, I don't just mean the thing about how homeless people were being turfed out of Windsor, you know, so rich people could camp in their prime wedding spotting locations instead, uh, as one newspaper said. And that did sound really horrible, but I can't help but feel that if we utilise that properly, we could see rich people paying millions for homeless people's prime locations all over the UK and end homelessness forever. No, other than that, uh, on Friday, a.k.a. Royal Wedding Eve, the government snuck out uh, new measures to allow shale gas explorers to drill test sites in England without applying for planning permission and for fracking sites to be classed as nationally significant infrastructure so it would be government rather than council approved. Now, there's a lot there, uh, not least the revelation that there are shale gas explorers who I guess are like really boring versions of Lara Croft but with like a special nose mask and wafting devices. Yeah, all I've got in my head is someone discovering Dr Livingston because they could smell his gas, but that feels a bit wrong. But basically, it means if companies want to frack in public, then they can frack all over your area without having to okay with you or any residents because the government say it's fine. In fact, £1.6 million is being put towards speeding up fracking applications so ground near you could be pumped full of awful toxic horrors anytime soon and causing all sorts of environmental chaos or, you know, unleashing evil underground dinosaur ghosts. OK, there's no evidence for the latter, but there is evidence that it causes water contamination and possibilities of high pollution risks, something that the UK Environment Agency says can be reduced by planning regulations. But with money invested to speed up planning, it doesn't really fill me with confidence knowing that the whole procedure might be rushed and therefore those planning regulations to reduce pollution might be slightly overlooked. The UK have just been referred to the European Court of Justice for failing to tackle illegally high levels of air pollution, so it seems rather odd that rather than make the UK more environmentally friendly, they just want to unleash a tonne more fossil fuels instead. Then again, what do I know? I mean, I remember former Prime Minister and mutilated watermelon David Cameron saying that the only reason people don't like fracking is because they don't know enough about it. True, Dave! And you know what else that's true for? Yeah, that's right. Death. This coming Friday, May the 25th, Irish people will vote in a referendum as to whether women should have the rights over their own bodies, or if, in fact, Ireland would be a handy place to film The Handmaid's Tale Season 3. Now, that's not exactly the options that will be on the ballot paper, but it may as well be, as it's all about whether to repeal the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution Act 1983, aka, as the amendment text actually states, the right to life of the unborn and with due regard to the equal right of the life of the mother. So unlike much of the rest of the Western world, with the exception of America, who under the tiny-handed grip of a possessed space hopper are sliding ever backwards in human rights evolution, Ireland still has a ban on abortion, causing many women to have to travel to the UK or Europe to seek the medical care that they need. Meanwhile, many others have to resort to illegal, unmonitored treatment in Ireland, and there have been many, many cases of unnecessary deaths as a result of the ban. Of course, this isn't just a simple, oh, well, of course we'll vote to repeal the Eighth Amendment because it's 2018 and everyone understands that women should only have children if they want them and should be able to do with their bodies what they want. No, sadly, due to religion, misogyny, taboo, years of misinformation and the fact that some people are just fucking weird, there is a strong no campaign that believes the rights of an unborn fetus that they don't have to spend their lives looking after or spending money on or trying to make drink fucking cowpole should come before those of the mother. So far, the no campaign has been caught using some really shitty tactics such as delivering to 200,000 leaflets made to look like official government propaganda and a warning that a yes vote would mean unborn babies at all stages of pregnancy will have no rights and you will never have a say on this again. All of which is simply not true in terms of what's being proposed or Irish democracy. 
Also, if they believe that by voting one way, you'll be able to discuss the issue again in the future, isn't that saying you're pro-choice? Oh, it's so confusing. This week, I spoke to comedian, writer, actor, and most importantly right now, a leading figure at the front of the Yes to Repeal campaign, Tara Flynn. Tara revealed in a very moving and very brave article in the Irish Times in 2015 that she had had to travel to the Netherlands to have an abortion nine years previously. And since that article, she has been working extremely hard canvassing, campaigning and fighting for Irish women's voices and needs to be respected. Tara has faced some pretty horrendous abuse from pro-life politicians to a really rather nasty bit of social media fake news that's been going around this week. And when you listen to her in this interview, you'll realise that she is doing this out of nothing but care, compassion and I would say humanitarianism. And despite knowing Tara for quite some years, I really can't tell you or put into words just how much I admire her for her strength throughout this campaign. This is a very sensitive issue and I'm fully aware that even in this day and age and even in the UK, abortion can oddly still be a taboo topic. While I loathe people starting a phrase with as a parent, as my experience is that usually means whatever they're going to say next is absolutely hampered by their lack of sleep. As a parent, I feel I understand even more what a huge undertaking having a child is. And dear God, I wouldn't want anyone to go through that without having the means and the absolute want to do so. I am covered in cowpole today. And that's not even taking into consideration issues of medical complications or sexual abuse. But even if for some odd reason you don't agree with me and yet still listen to this show, I mean, why on earth would you do that to yourself? I implore you to listen to Tara. And if you know people who will be voting in Ireland on Friday, please persuade them to look at actual facts and human stories and focus on improving women's rights and human rights rather than just hyperbole and misinformation. Hope you enjoy this. Here is Tara. So the vote is on Friday by the time listeners hear this um, on the 25th. Uh, and do you feel, are you feeling optimistic about the outcome? I mean, you've been at the, the front of campaigning for appeal. How's, how are things feeling? Uh, I mean, it's tense, but it's because the thing is, we're battling years and years of indoctrination. And, you know, it, it's uh, all I ever heard growing up was that abortion was bad. It was That was what was allowed to be taught in schools. That was all we ever heard on the airwaves, unchallenged. And so even when we had the referendum for um, uh, the, the 13th Amendment to basically say that we had the right to travel, that's enshrined in our constitution is the right to travel for abortion So and the right to information. So it's absolutely hypocritical. But people kind of, there's a comfort in it'll happen away over there um, and, and you know, that it doesn't happen here when the reality is it does happen here, especially now with the availability of abortion pills, even if they're acquired illegally. So it's tense because what you're saying to people is, you know, I know it feels comfortable to you to keep things the way you think they are, but that is not how they are. Many people are, you know, waking up to that and going, oh, crap, uh, you know, it's very uncomfortable for me, but I, but I have to acknowledge that that is the reality. So I don't think anyone's optimistic. I don't think anyone on either side is optimistic. It's too close to call. It's too difficult to tell. Many people, it's an old Irish thing. It goes back to the Civil War. You don't tell anyone how you're voting. So the canvas is interesting. <laughs> 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 because, you know, if you'll have to go on a twinkle and, you know, many people will say, yeah, I'm voting yes. And we found on the last few canvases I've been on, it's mainly yeses, lots of undecideds. Uh, but mainly yeses and very few noes. That's what I've seen. But, you know, and that's only particular areas. No one's optimistic, but everyone is hopeful. Um, I'm I'm definitely hopeful, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to work up until the very last minute. Sure. Do you, do you, I mean, do you think there's going to be, a, a, you know, or have you noticed a difference in ages, areas, classes? Because obviously, as you said, this is, uh, well, it's a very personal thing, but it's also quite... Um, you know, a, a religious thing. You know, there's a lot of things that affect how people might feel on this. Is Have that, you noticed? Is, is it mainly like young people that have? Yes. Where, where's the kind of? Is there? Is there a line? There is no line, and that's what's really interesting. Some of the younger people who are just coming out of Catholic schools are hardline knows. They're absolutely certain in their stance because they have just received all that teaching, and then a couple of years later, just out of school, or maybe have gone to college or into a job or seen a bit of life. They're yeses. Um, then there are older people. So I think it's something like most anti-choice people, most no voter, voters are over 55. But that doesn't mean all over 55s are no voters. Many of them campaigned against the 8th in 1983. So and they're getting a chance to vote again. And all of us fecking scaredy cats who um, 
it took us this long to come and stand up with them. You know, many of them got driven underground and they just, it wasn't worth talking about. And, you know, all the abuse and vitriol they would get, they, they became silent again. And it feels like they're speaking again. They're, they're, they're coming up and, you know, telling us their stories. People have been keeping secrets for such a long time and we've kind of let them do it on their own. And, but we're here now. We're sorry we're late, but we're here. And, uh, it's uh, it's Ireland's been living a lie, and and many many older people know that. The other thing is that the eighth um, is it, it becomes a class issue because what happens is women like me, and I don't know if your listeners know, but I I publicly shared my story of having to travel to the Netherlands for an abortion in 2006. So that's one of the reasons I'm I'm campaigning, even though I'm supposed to be a comedian and an actor. But that's <laughs> this is my life for now. This is my life till the 25th. But um. I was able to travel. So I don't campaign for me because it worked quite well for many people. The idea that we'd, we'd travel and then we'd lie about having to travel. We'd pretend it didn't happen. But who got left behind then? Who got left behind were women living with disabilities who were unable to travel. Women who, um, uh, who are under the poverty line. Women who, uh, who um, for instance are migrants and don't have visas to travel. So we're we're criminalizing and penalizing the worst off in society. And that that doesn't make any sense. So if you have a credit card like me, you get to travel, but then you're supposed to lie. And if you don't, you come back and you live the lie of the eighth by either continuing a pregnancy against your will, regardless of your circumstances. Um, and don't forget that many people who access abortion, in fact, over 50% are already parents and they're making the best decision they can make for their family, their existing family. Um, you, so it's, 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 it's that or you, um, you take matters into your own hands and backstreet abortion is alive and well in Ireland and DIY abortion is alive and well in Ireland. And those of us calling for repeal, many of whom might be morally, personally opposed to abortion, realise that that's not morally correct and that it needs to be safe and that acknowledging reality is the compassionate vote. Yeah, because there was one of the or one of the things I read about that kind of um, they, or they say changed the abortion debate was the death of, and I'm going to pronounce this wrongly, I'm sure, but Savita Halapanava, who was refused an abortion and then, uh, you know, died because of complications. Um, was, that, was, that a, was that a turning point in Ireland, do you think? Yeah, it was. It was definitely the first time I, I got out on the streets on this issue. Because, as you know, because that's how we met. I was living in London, and I think <laughs> it's weird. Stigma is an incredible... It's an incredible force, really, for silence. And when I moved to Britain, I think I told everyone that I'd had a termination. Just, and not because I wanted to share personal medical information. It was just because people did talk about it. Now, n not everyone talks about it, and it's very private. You know, you've the right to be private. For me, it was like the, that I was living in a place where it wasn't... Uh, a radical or strange thing, you know, it's still a divisive issue, but it's not, um, it's not illegal and it's not, you know, it's not taboo in that way. But it's, it's when I moved back, I went back into the, under the, the, you know, under the covers again as such. And when, uh, when for, for a couple of things happened, so, and I can't really remember the exact sequence, but around the same time, the abortion rights campaign started. And even them using the word abortion in the name was so shocking to some people. Um, this was in 2012, I think it was. And so I had moved back a year before. And then around, because they were reacting to the fact that Youth Defense, and, and a virulently anti-choice organization here, um, they who are connected to the no campaign, um, you know, they're, 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 you know, if anyone wants to go and look up youth defense, I'm not going to say anything about them. But if anyone wants to go and look up their history, then uh, it, it might be edifying people. But anyway, um, so youth defense had some posters up, some absolutely gory, horrible posters. And because there was no real repeal movement or no real um, uh, pro-choice visible pro-choice movement, people felt really, oh, the oppression of those posters was so heavy. So so people started to come out a little bit. And around the same time, Savita died. And that was when we took to the streets for the first time en masse and, uh, you know, standing outside our government buildings with candles and just like, you know, we knew this was going to happen. That's why I keep saying, I'm sorry I'm so late. Like, I'm sorry I didn't do more or buck the stigma earlier and just start talking about this in a realistic way. 
I feel guilty when I think of Savita now because I feel like we could have stood up quicker. We could have maybe avoided her death if we had just been brave enough to buck that system. Um, but she's on all she's in all of our hearts when we campaign. And, and I think, you know, it, it, it was such a preventable death. Um, and the no campaign will say, oh, she died of sepsis. Well, it's like <laughs> she was, you know, she was um, she was involved in dentistry. She was she had med a medical background. She knew that she would die if she didn't have the abortion. And she asked for one and was denied it. So, you know, the sepsis was there because she couldn't access that health care. You know, it's it, it's not a it's not it's absolutely dishonest to say that that the availability of the abortion wasn't a factor. So the unavailability of it. Um, so it was a flashpoint in many ways, I think, because we all knew deep down in our hearts that 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 because it makes things dangerous and underground, something bad would happen. Um, something very bad things are happening all the time, but it would cross that line. It would be very bad. There have been others. There have been migrant women um, who've died because of the AIDS. There have been um, the women who've been, well, the woman who was kept on life support because she was pregnant, even though she was fully brain dead against the wishes of her family. And, this, you know, the state appoints a lawyer for the fetus and you just go, stop, just stop, just stop, stop. You know, and... So though for those women, we we're fighting as hard as we can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 it was a hugely tragic story. But I I, I suppose in that um, sort of without sounding callous, it, it's it takes an event like that to change people's minds or to make people step up. And I think it was it was that. And I remember uh, reading in your article when you wrote about uh, your own abortion that you said that you kind of. There was also the the, the gay marriage uh, referendum that kind yeah. of um, enthused people, I think, in, in, into thinking that maybe Ireland is changing. Um, I mean, that that was quite a dramatic result as well. But do you think these, uh, you know, I, to me, in some ways, that they both are very progressive referendums, but I don't know if they're comparable. Yeah, they, they're they're similar but different. Yes, it is about social change. Yes, it is about bucking. Now, and I, when I speak about the Catholic Church, I'm talking about the institution, not people of faith. Many people of faith are campaigning very hard on this referendum. Many people of faith have had to, ask, had to access abortion care. So I'm not talking about people of faith. I'm talking about a dogmatic control that emanated from the church. Um, so I guess both referenda are about a move away from dogmatic control of the church um but here's the thing indoctrination runs very deep and when all you've ever heard is that abortion is bad without considering cases when it might be good or life-saving or con you know situations where it might be the only choice a person feels they have um you know it's there that questioning isn't there but that's part of catholic dogma you don't question you're a bad person if you question um so the the thing with the marriage equality referendum was it, it was two things it was that pro progressive idea but also it was the engagement of young people in politics they had always you know party politics here is so you know, it's so corrupt and interwoven and, the, you know, one party is the same as the other. And, you know, it can feel like that. Um, there are some great politicians, very active and engaged and doing great stuff. There's real hope for the future. But party politics in general here is an absolute quagmire. So people were not engaged with it. People were shut down. But both of these referenda have been... Um, Cross party, you know, many parties joining together to get this done. That's been exciting. Um, you know, vibrant and dynamic young people going to people's doors and canvassing. Um, and a belief that people power can change things. The thing is, if you were to listen to mainstream, and I hate that mainstream media fucking cliche, but I'm going to say it. But if you listen to the more mainstream journalists, you know, political commentators here, this is a shock to them that we have tabled a fecking referendum. They didn't see it coming. They didn't see the sea change. They didn't see because they were looking into Leinster House, into our government buildings. They weren't looking out to the grassroots. They didn't see it coming. So I think whatever happens will be a surprise to them because they haven't been looking in the right place. But what has been happening with the two, the two different referendums has been people power has been people going, if I tell my truth, if I share my story and I go to another person and I say, I need help, I need your vote, I need change, then that, that it can happen. And marriage equality gave us that hope. So I think if marriage equality hadn't happened, we'd never have dreamed of even getting the referendum on the table. 
Now we have to win it. Um, that's a different thing. <laughs> but even to this stage has been a miracle. If you have grown up in this country, this is a miracle. Yeah, I mean, the conversation has just changed massively in Ireland forever now, hasn't it? This is it. So it's when people say, well, and it's, you know, and I've spoken to a couple of very lovely and engaged and you'd never have believed they'd have come out for, for a yes vote on this older politicians. And they're like, well, if it's a no, that's it now. That's it for another couple of decades. That's that's it. We'll all have to just accept the will of the people I'm going, but an indoctrinated will of the people like, but, but, but do you think this genie's going back in the bottle? Do you think stuff's not going to be on fire if there's a, like, we we can't just wait for the next Savita because it's inevitable. So that we can't on in all conscience accept that. It's been proven that the eighth doesn't prevent abortion. The eighth doesn't function as it's intended. So it's I don't see how anyone in good conscience can defend it. But okay, they're defending it. Um they're saying it keeps abortion out of Ireland. It doesn't. And it's like whenever you ask them about the thirteenth and fourteenth amendments, the right to information and the right to um, and the right to travel for an abortion expressly, they don't, they, sometimes they've never even heard of them or they don't know about them because they're not discussing that or the hypocrisy of, okay, if you think it's murder, you think it's murder, why Why are the 13th and 14th Amendments okay? Why are you not ca- campaigning to repeal those? It, it's so utterly hypocritical. And it, it acknowledges, it, every time we've been asked to vote, on abortion since the Eighth Amendment, we have broadened the access to information or or right to travel. <laughs> so people acknowledge that without that pressure valve of the UK or the Netherlands or wherever, more more women are dead. So it if it's a no, and it won't be, but if it's a no, stuff's gonna be on fire. I don't think they get it. They just don't get it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we'll be back with Tara in a minute. But first, Israel. Now, I know you're thinking, no, and don't go there. Well, I'm not going to. I can't afford the flights. And to be fair, the closest I've ever come to holidaying in a humanitarian crisis was a nightclub I went to near Malaga, where most people were fighting, shagging or being sick. And some people, all three at once. But look, I understand that with Israel, unless I add the word Madrid afterwards and ask weird football questions, any discussion of Israel is going to be divisive. Though, to be fair, if you've heard how bad my lack of football knowledge is, you'd probably find that even more upsetting. To call the situation in Israel and Gaza an endless horror would be giving too much credit to most horror films, whose plots are nowhere near as complex as a 70-year conflict over land ownership that somehow seems to be getting worse. And I don't want to go into and explain that entire 70-year conflict here, as this show isn't five days long, and there are some really good guides online, including the Vox one that I will post on all the uh, Parpol Bro pages. So... 
This bit on this week's show is just about the past week's upsetting violence. And of course, full disclosure, much like with every topic on this podcast, I am biased uh, because I am a human being. And I have a view, and my view is that it is bonkers that there isn't a two-state solution. That yes, Hamas are pretty shitty and not exactly people I'd want to have round for tea or even to check the boiler, but many Palestinians don't want them in charge and don't have much choice. I do also believe that Israeli Prime Minister and what if someone crossed Martin Freeman with a smeg fridge freezer, Benjamin Netanyahu, is a raving nut case and that Israel do use disproportionate force but many Israelis would also agree with me and also don't have much choice. All in all it sounds and looks shit for everyone. So that's where I stand or more accurately right now sit and with that out of the way let's head into what happened last week. So, last week, Israeli forces shot dead 60 people who were protesting at the Gaza border over living conditions and the moving of the US embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. The first bit of that there. A 2017 UN report stated that the Gaza Strip was now unlivable, with electricity and water crisis, shortage of building materials, few medical supplies, brutal import and export restrictions on food, the fact that no one can travel anywhere due to the joint Israeli-Egypt blockade, and unemployment is at a massive 45%. Except the problem with it being unlivable is people have to live there, and that is a real issue. Suicide rates in the Gaza Strip have risen massively as a result of people no longer being able to cope with it. Gazans describe it as being in an open prison. An open prison is one of those names where the second word absolutely ruins the first bit. The second bit of that earlier sentence is about the US Embassy, which by moving from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem basically overturned 70 years of international consensus on what land is Israel's, and it didn't just poke an angry bear, but basically grabbed a bear's nutsack and cussed its mum all at the same time. A little bit of history to the Tel Aviv-Jerusalem situation. In 1947, the UN decided Jerusalem was an international city, separate to any country. But in 1949, after the war following Israel's declaration of independence, Israel took control of the western half, and Jordan, the country not the celebrity on a particularly angry day, took the eastern half. Then, in 1967, in the Six-Day War, Israel occupied East Jerusalem, and the whole city has been their turf since, but not officially, just in a sort of if-you-step-on-our-manner-will-spark-you way. Palestinians, however, still see Jerusalem as the potential capital of a future Palestinian state, should that ever happen. You know, if, say, the US imploded, or the Israeli government took MDMA, or hell froze over. In 1980, Israel declared Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and the United Nations Security Council responded by going, What the fuck are you doing? I mean, sort of, I'm paraphrasing. But they condemned it all, and they said it violated international law, to which Israel didn't really care, but most other countries thought, well, sod that, and they kept their embassies in Tel Aviv, because, you know, diplomacy. So, because Trump's idea of peace is destroying everything until there is nothing left to make any disruptions, he decided to move the embassy, despite all warnings, to Jerusalem, and therefore backed Israel's decision and stuck two very tiny fingers up at the UN and Palestinians who are really having a shit enough time already. It's not just kicking someone while they're down, it's specifically stepping in dog shit before you do it. But what Trump's decision does do is cement even further the relationship between the US and Netanyahu's government, a relationship where the US already give $3 billion a year to Israel. I mean, I've never been in a relationship like that, and I'm married. Um, Trump paid Stormy Daniels $130,000 for one night, yet gives $3 billion a year to the Israeli government so they can fuck Palestinians. Weird. Each to their own. The US regularly block UN resolutions that are critical of Israel as well, including one that was going to investigate what happened last week. The US ambassador to the UN and evil Celine Dion doppelganger Nikki Haley walked out of the Security Council meeting as the Palestinian representatives started to speak, which is so grown up and diplomatic. I mean, fuck's sake, she may as well just have stayed, closed her eyes, popped her finger in her ears and sang la 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 throughout. I mean, why does the US do all this? Well, firstly, there's a lot of support for Israel amongst the US public, and it also helps secure the US's place in the Middle East, especially as now things with Iran look like they're all going to shitsville. And thirdly, because Trump is a supermassive bellend of the absolute worst kind. So embassy plus unlivable living conditions meant protest. And protests had been happening in the build-up to it being the 70th anniversary of the State of Israel, but for the Palestinians, Nakba, a commemoration of being displaced as a people. Hamas has claimed 50 of the 62 deaths at the protest as their members. And let's just do this bit so no one gets too angry. Hamas, as I said before, aren't good guys in this. There is evidence of Hamas hiding rockets in schools on the Gaza Strip, which Israel uses evidence of Hamas not caring about civilian casualties and using human shields. And they aren't wrong, but then they also don't have to bomb those schools to prove a point. I mean, why bomb a school when, based on school kids in my area, it's very likely they just find the missiles themselves and set them off anyway. Again, no one comes out of this well. 
Hamas were given conditions to normalise their international political status in 2017 by the UN, EU, USA and Russia, but couldn't agree to all conditions, including recognising Israel as a legitimate state, though they did revise their charter to accept a Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza Strip rather than the whole territory. Though that's not that different from how Netanyahu feels either, as he says he doesn't want a one-state solution, but he also keeps stopping short of saying he wants a two-state solution because he wants to make sure that, as he says, what they have next to them doesn't threaten their lives. The man pipped to be Netanyahu's successor, as Netanyahu's currently being investigated for alleged corruption, so, you know, his word on how things are going is totally trustworthy. The man who is said to succeed him, Gideon Sa'ar, is quoted as saying the possibilities of a two-state solution are over and world powers should stop trying to create a Palestinian state, as, he says, we have to think about reality. True, because in reality, there are no heroes and everyone is awful. So that's 62 deaths, 50 who are Hamas members, allegedly, and others who were children and a disabled man, according to reports. And they were killed because Israeli forces fired live ammunition in defence against people who mainly had slingshots, or in one case, a wheelchair, that classic weapon. The Israeli Defence Force, who clearly take tips in tweeting tactfully from Katie Hopkins, tweeted that Hamas can turn anything into a weapon of terror, adding an image that included rocks, explosives, arson kites, wire cutters, Molotov cocktails, children, disabled civilians and rope-tied defence. Firstly, arson kites sounds quite a lot like a football manager of a lower league club. Secondly, children really aren't a match for live ammunition. It is indefensible to say that Hamas used kids as weapons and that somehow justifies shooting them. If Hamas really were that good at turning, say, disabled people in a rope tied to a fence as weapons like some sort of Middle Eastern MacGyver, chances are they'd be doing better at fighting Israeli occupation than they are. This is obviously disproportionate violence. I mean, I mean, I'd put it as though, uh, what if, like I did as a child, me and my friend hit rotten apples over his garden fence into his neighbour's newly done washing. Yes, we were being dicks, fair point. Uh, what his neighbours did was complain to his mum, and we got in shitloads of trouble. However, what the current Israeli government would have done is kill both me and my friend, and his parents, and all the other neighbours, and then say it was self-defence because some of those apples were a bit sticky. Do the Israelis have a right to defend themselves? Sure, but they've got a lot of funding to do that. And so do the Palestinians, really. They've got a right to defend themselves too. And ultimately what really matters is that everyone should stop being arseholes and murdering innocent people who'd just like to stop living in abject poverty. While the US keeps derailing UN attempts to intervene, other countries could do something, including the UK, who've done fuck all. Last year, the British government approved the sale of £216 million of weapons to Israel, which is more than double the amount from 2016. And that includes bombs, grenades, missiles, assault rifles, small arms ammunition, sniper rifles and armoured vehicles, because, uh-oh, what if children attack? Green Party leader Caroline Lucas put to the Commons how they could continue to allow the arms trade to profit from this violence. As realistically, if the UK withheld arms sales, they could push for an independent investigation into the shootings, all of which would be a further step towards a peaceful solution. Prime Minister and harrowed curtains with a face, Theresa May, has backed the independent inquiry part and gave a half-hearted comment on Israeli forces needing to show a greater restraint. So I can't imagine she'll be committing to an inquiry anytime soon. Sadly, unless international pressure amounts to an even higher level, with other countries actually willing to really do something, this isn't likely to be the last time that this sort of tragedy happens. My hope for the people of Palestine and the people of Israel is that maybe, just maybe, the intervention of Trump will eventually lead to a career-style truce where both sides realise that it's easier to solve a 70-year war than having to deal with that orange fuckwit again. We can only hope for everyone's sake. As mentioned before, there is so much more to all of that than can fit on one podcast. And nuance is, as always, a very lovely word to say. Nuance. But also essential, uh, despite my often unnuanced jokes. Um, I'll pop the excellent Vox Guide up on the website, which I would highly recommend. And hopefully I will interview someone about this at some point soon. And now, back to Tara. Because one of, uh, and, and this is, again, reading from the UK, where, you know, our, it was really hard to get... Uh, good information on on the campaigns it's going in Ireland for, from uh you know just UK Google but I, I was reading that um a lot of the kind of save the eighth uh, main spokespeople aren't are refusing to be interviewed they must be is that kind of an awareness that perhaps they're a bit outdated in there you know that there, there must be some it, that must be a defense mechanism I I don't honestly know and I think they're you know they've had such incredible media training and for years you know they're incredible. If you watch them, they're an exercise in pivoting. They're an exercise in, you know, it's an exercise in, you know, not answering one question and just repeating certain buzzwords, emotive button pushing buzzwords. Um, it's very cynical. 
there are many of them who can't wait to get uh, an ear. Um, but they, there are some they try to keep back because it's just so out there what they're saying. It really is, um, you know, very draconian and and anti-women, to be honest with you. And they're trying to look like the That's one of the reasons they've called part of the campaign love both, but they don't love women at all. Their posters don't ever have women in them. They have these floating fetuses in, you know, happy, smiling fetuses. <laughs> it's, um, you know, we all want, you know, pregnancies to go really well, but there's a woman involved. You know, we all we want every pregnancy to be wanted. That's what I say at some of the talks I do now. You know, you know what I would love? This is what I want. No more abortion. But guess what? That's not re- and you say it and people's faces fall like, what, what? That's not possible. It's like, yes, but it's asking them to think about the fact that that's not possible. That's just not realistic. Not every pregnancy is wanted. Not every wanted, deeply wanted pregnancy is viable. And we need to be there for people when that happens. And it's probably quite a, a well. No, let's let's look at this very positively. If yes wins, what yeah. is the legislation change that the government are proposing, and is that going to be enough? Do you think if that goes through? Well, some people are saying it's too much. I think it's restrictive. It's up to twelve weeks, um, regardless of reason. So people are saying that, interpreting that anti people are tar- are interpreting that as no reason. As course, as we all know. Um, or those of us who who care about uh, the people who face crisis pregnancies know there's always a reason. There's always a reason for choosing abortion. But um, up to 12 weeks is going to be, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's sort of just about hits international standards. It's still relatively early, especially in, in terms of maybe something like rape or an abusive relationship where someone might not realize they're pregnant till a little bit later on um but you know still still very early in the pregnancy but later than that that exact window so and it, so there's that that is in terms of the legislation and then of course that that after that time fatal fetal abnormalities or emergencies medical emergencies they would be legislated for differently um i am terrible because i'm not a lawyer as you know i'm supposed <laughs> to be a comedian <laughs> um but lawyers for choice are doing incredible work on this um, they're well worth checking out. They long ago, before the referendum was even on the cards, they had proposed some legislation that, as they said, you know, as feminist lawyers, we don't think this goes far enough to be compassionate and inclusive of everyone who might need it. But here's something we think might work. Um, so they've been incredible on that. Um, some of our politicians have been brilliant. Um, but it, it, the legislation won't go far enough to people will still have to travel, I believe, under it. But it is a start. We have to start somewhere. And Absolutely. and it is a start. Legislation can be changed, which is what, unfortunately, the scaremongering. No campaigners are saying legislation can be changed, which means that they'll just start here and then they'll make it completely permissive. You know, there's a real misogyny to that. Like anyone goes past 12 weeks and isn't in some kind of situation where they either didn't know they were pregnant or that they weren't traumatized in some way. You know, the, the, the truth is, the facts are, the majority of, of people who choose abortion choose it as soon as they know. And that's 92% is pre-12 weeks. Something like 80% is pre-10 weeks. And that would be dealt with, with um, abortion pills, which you could get from your GP. But here at the moment, people are ordering them online. It's happening anyway. They're ordering them online and taking them without supervision. Then if something goes wrong, they're going to A&E and lying about why they're, you know, they're in trouble. So, um, you know, it's dishonest. It's absolutely dishonest. And that has to change. And incidentally, it was weird. Yesterday, you know, I, I saw somebody on Twitter saying to me that I was stigmatizing people by saying, you know, no one no one doesn't consider this deeply. If you're facing a crisis pregnancy, people do consider this deeply. And, you know, people do realize what pregnancy is and um, they do take it seriously. And she was saying that I was stigmatizing women who, you, you know, who just why not just say it's my body. I can do whatever I want. And I was like, because people in Ireland aren't there yet. And while I might be there and I might agree that autonomy should be enough to win this battle, it simply isn't. And because the narrative on the no side is all about these frivolous, cruel, irresponsible women just having abortions for the crack, we have to, we are having to counter that by saying 
please don't diminish women by saying that they don't, that they are, don't infantilize them and say they don't know what's happening when they choose to end a pregnancy. They have weighed up what they can, they are capable of, and they are the expert on their body, life, mind, and future. So I wasn't, I was addressing them, not other women. So I just wanted to clarify that because it's like, we're having to roll back from so much bullshit and so much infantilizing and diminishing of women's actual experiences that unfortunately we have to address. We're all always on the back foot, really. We're always in defense mode. Um, and hopefully come June, there will be retribution. Hopefully, you know, I'm certainly going to say a lot more <laughs> than I can say right now. I, I have to, we have to bite our tongues. We have to go around to people's doorsteps, Tiernan, and knock on the door and say, we're canvassing for a yes vote. Can I answer any questions you might have? You know, how do you feel you might vote? And some of them say no. And they smile. And you have to smile back and say thank you for your time. Oh, that's now, hard. Yeah. It's fucking hard. And I remember watching my friends, my LGBTQ friends, on the doorsteps during marriage equality and my heart breaking for them. This is, you know, this is just as bad, maybe in some ways worse, because they just completely, they feel they don't even know. Was they, everyone had a, someone they knew who was gay in the family, so a friend they knew, or it was all about love. And this is harder for people to get their heads around. So I do sympathize on one level. On another side, when somebody, you know, stands in front of someone on their doorstep who they don't know my experience, they, they, you know, or they don't care whether it's happened to me or not, they will smile and they will say, we don't want any change. What I hear when they do that is, I don't care what you went through. I don't care that you were sent away, exiled in silence and secrecy and shame. I don't care that you were traumatized by the horrible posters, the misleading posters with lies on. I don't care that a woman might die. I don't care that people are forced to continue pregnancies against their wills. That's what I hear. So when it comes with a smile and a veneer of respectability, because that is what the state has, our laws reflect those views. So they're they're within their rights to think that they are the acceptable, respectable view. Um, and I would just beg people in the last 10 days to reflect. It's, I mean, it's like, like you said before, it's such a personal vote, this as well. So it's not just a kind of my political views are different to yours. This is my, I, I believe you're, you know, oh. that you shouldn't have rights over your own body. It's such a very yeah. different, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it comes from a very different place, I think, to just saying, oh, uh, your austerity politics should be different or something. You know, it's, a, it's a, uh, not on the same level. By, exactly, but it's treated by the, um, by the political commentators as if it was that, as if it's a general election. And they just don't get it. They don't get it at all. Every single person who's canvassing is canvassing because they believe it's deeply right. They're canvassing because it happened to them. They're happening because it happened to their wife. They're, happen they're doing it because they, it, it happened to someone they know and love and they saw what, what they went through. Because the added that, you know, people, people say, oh, abortion affects your mental health. If you have an abortion, you'll get really, you, you'll get really mentally unwell. Well, it has had an effect on our mental health, but it's been the stigma and the lies that have been that have had the heaviest effect. Because, of course, as we know from the best available research, there's no research doable on Ireland, in Ireland because no one's honest about it. Um, even the figures that we do have for the UK are the people who choose to go to the UK and give English addresses, you know, um, you know, or, or, or British addresses. But but basically, um, I'm not on those figures at all because I went to Holland. So uh, it's. Um, everything is dishonest about this. So, but, but the best available figures show that not something like 95% of people don't um, regret having an abortion, that relief is what we experience. That's certainly been my experience. That doesn't mean it wasn't something that I grappled with. That wasn't, doesn't mean just because it was a straightforward decision doesn't mean it was an easy one. But because I had done all my research, because I knew it was right for me, I experienced relief. But they will say that now we're saying our mental health is being affected. They'll say, oh, that's guilt. They diminish it down to just such a black and white thing when it is all grey. This is, we've been pitted as us against them when actually the pro-choice movement is the middle ground. It's We're all from different backgrounds, different beliefs on abortion, different different faiths or no faiths, um, different classes, different, I mean, you've never seen such a broad church. It's unreal. Uh, it's just incredible. The people you meet, it's just, just it's been such a unifying and, 
and, and solidarity action. It's just been so brilliant. But then when they'll say, you know, it's you against them and it's like, no, we're in the middle. Someone who is against them <laughs> is on the extreme will be someone who's saying abortion should be compulsory, you know, or, or some bad shit like that. So it's been a very unevenly weighted narrative around the the uh, the um, the discussion or the the, uh, the the campaign, and I believe it slowed us down. I believe they're they're complicit in spreading anti-choice myths and lies that are very easily disprovable, and I'm very angry about that. Do you think, and I know this is probably quite a tricky thing to answer, but if uh, if the vote is yes, do you think that will have any effect on Northern Ireland as well? Do you think that could see Northern Ireland change in the future on I their hope, abortion laws? I hope so, and it has to. And I swear to God, seeing the busloads of Alliance for Choice, um, people coming down, our sisters and brothers from the North coming down to canvas in the border counties, coming down to our rallies, we damn well have to turn it around and do that for them. You know, we've got to get the 67 Act extended. Um, the fact that Westminster hasn't done that is absolutely mind-boggling in its blindness. Um, but uh, it just shows you, you know, that we, we've got to we've we've got to take our grassroots movement and help them out. They're helping us out, but we've got to help them out too. And the solidarity from from them has been. Oh, I, I get emotional thinking about it. And uh, yeah, no solidarity with our sisters up there, and we're not going to leave you hanging. That's great. That's well. Look, listen. Um, I mean, I'm I'm really, uh, and I know there's lots of people in the UK that really, really hope it goes through the yes vote. Um, it, it, apart from yourself, who obviously everyone should follow. Um, are there any other um, specific campaign groups that you could recommend um, yeah. that listeners follow? Any particular people that you recommend listeners should follow if they want to, not only for the referendum but also beyond that um, about women's rights and about uh, uh, Irish political campaigns um, that you could recommend. Absolutely. So there's um, Lawyers for Choice are incredible, uh, Doctors for Choice. Um, the umbrella group, the campaign HQ as such, is now called Together for Yes. That's, I believe, with a four. Because, you know, hey, we're the new generation. <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of, I mean, and they will retweet lots of interesting people and, and analyses. Um, I think uh, Mary McAuliffe, historians are very important in this. Mary McAuliffe, she's very interesting because um, we've got to contextualize this in terms of things like Magdalene laundries and just getting rid of inconvenient women. And actually, termination for medical reasons are brilliant. Um, what we, you and I haven't talked about um, is that um, the, the ACE affects every pregnancy. It affects consent during continued pregnancy. It means that as soon as you get pregnant, you lose your autonomy, you lose your right to consent to or refuse medical treatment, even in the case of something like cancer. Um, and um, that's something when we say that people say, oh, you're just trying to distract from the fact that you love abortions. And it's like, well, no, nobody likes abortions. Nobody wants one. Sometimes people need them. But that doesn't take away from the fact that the ACE removes consent, con consent during continued pregnancy and birth. You can have a cesarean section against your will. You can be denied one if, you, if that's what your choice is. You know, you, you have your, you know, it's infantilizing and it, it is misogyny at work. The eighth is misogyny at work and enshrined in law. So we have to contextualize it in history. But I, I suggest termination for medical reasons um, and AIMS Ireland um, to talk about things like, like those, about wanted pregnancies that the eighth affects. Um, AIMS Ireland are advances in maternity services. They talk about consent during, during continued pregnancy. In termination for medical reasons, there's an incredible couple called Gay and Jerry, uh, Gay and Jerry Edwards. And Jerry said, you know, we used to drop our women off <clears throat> at the laundry gates. Now we drop them at the departure gates. And I thought that was incredibly poignant and summed it up really well, contextualizing all this in history, our attitude to women in this country. But um, it, it's it's not just, you know, it's not just the departure gates. What about the people who don't get to travel? And they're the ones we're campaigning for. Thank you to Tara for talking with me. Um, she is super busy on the front line for the Yes campaign and I really hugely appreciate her taking the time out to talk with me. And I feel, I have to say, I feel really stupid for not getting this one out earlier as the vote is on the 25th, only days away. And judging by when some of you listen to this podcast, it's probably already happened. Um, but if you are listening to this before Friday, it is really important to support the campaign to repeal the 8th and change Ireland into the progressive country that it should be. And yes, I am biased because everyone is in this argument and it seems absolutely stupid to me that this referendum even 
even has to happen. But I'm going to be keeping all things crossed for the Yes to Repeal campaign. Um, now, Tara wanted me to keep her comedy, writing and acting life separate. But do follow her on at Tara Flynn, T-A-R-A-F-L-Y-N-N um, uh, on Twitter. And though I suspect she's going to be pretty quiet on there till Sunday, um, do check out her website also at taraflynn.ie where you can find links to all her other work, including all her books. Uh, if you are one of the handful of Irish listeners listening to this, um, firstly, please vote yes. Uh, also, if you're in Dublin, she is doing her show about the referendum called Not a Funny Word on the 23rd, um, which is tomorrow, if you've listened to this quickly enough. Um, or, you know, if you're in the future uh, listening to this, then find a time-travelling machine and maybe a flight to Dublin, come back. Um, it's 23rd in Dublin at the Working Men's Club. Um, the rest of the links Tara mentions will go up on the site later this week. But as I've mentioned before so many times, the vote is on Friday. Um, some of you don't even listen to this show until two weeks after it's been out, which is fine. Um, but just make sure you tweet, Facebook or whatever you can. Uh, hashtag repeal the eighth um, and show your support to those campaigning if you get this before then. Um, as per always ever ever if you have someone you think I should interview or a subject you think I should interview someone about please drop me a line at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com the at parpolbro twitter the partly political broadcast facebook group that I'm so so crap at updating or the contact form on the website yeah there's a new one yeah have that surprise in your face um, you can also get in touch by committing a series of horrific crimes and leaving clues as to who I should interview in cryptograms to the local press but I never read local newspapers so chances are I'll just miss it and you'll either be arrested or and jailed for Ever or run as a Republican senator in the next elections. Either way, probably easiest to email. And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Heavy, Heavy Issues. Jesus, it was, wasn't it? It was low. Just Israel and abortion, bloody hell, and fracking. Jesus. Uh, next week is much, much lighter, I promise, as I'll be discussing helium, areas of low gravity, and low fat cream cheese. Ha! Joe, it's always heavy because it's politics and everything is shit. You're welcome. Please listen again. Uh, don't forget to review the show on all your favourite platforms, online, train or otherwise. Uh, please do donate to the Patreon and Ko-fi as well. And just generally, spread the word like it was a beautiful margarine. Um, I was trying to think of a vegan option, but there's vegan margarines. That'll do. I'm all inclusive. Um, thank you to Acast for placing this show on their ever-growing audio mantelpiece. And to my brother, The Last Skeptic, for all of his musics. Uh, and do check out his new album, Under the Patio, which has two Ace pre-release tracks out now, uh, featuring Koji Radical and The Manor, and they're both awesome. This show will be back next week when Matt Hancock will be trying to work out why even Tom didn't turn up to the event he put on MySpace. Bye! This week's show is brought to you by Michael Gove's Blame Free Murder Kit. Each pack contains a big knife, gloves, and a t-shirt that says, watch out for murderers, so no one will ever, ever suspect you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.